uncomfortable. Hello, Hello. welcome back. We're in Hi. our 17th year of quarantine. Yep. We're just just to do. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> We're never getting out of here. Uh, Level 8 of Jumanji. How are you doing? I'm doing good, as well yeah. as I as well as we can be doing in these times. Um, I think at this point, I don't think we were expecting this, but it's kind of reached a point where Rona is like one of the least of our concerns. Oh <laughs> Cons- God! Considering everything else, so um, I you feel know. like this year's been really painful, but it's been painful for a lot of good reasons that have brought a lot of awareness to things that didn't have the awareness they deserved, and I appreciate it for that. And I think yeah. we have a long way to go, but we're definitely making good strides. Yeah, it's like very I, much a, a year of identifying and starting to cut out the toxicity and the corrosion in your life. Absolutely. I do think that's the thing is like growth is never comfortable. Um, and I do say that with like obviously a few layers of privilege of separation from some of our, some of these social issues. But growth is never comfortable. And I think all of us experiencing this at once is very important to how much how much forward progress we can make because we're kind of all being forced to be on the same page with social media kind of, you know, giving us such instantaneous information. I think that's what it is for a lot of people. It's like um, this growth spurt intellectually and emotionally that you're just expected to adjust to, but it's set at other people's pace and not yours. So I think that makes it really hard for people to figure out where they stand. I I think if this was like, you know, there's, let's say, five huge issues going on right now that are really hard to digest on their own. If it was like one at a time, I think we'd have a lot more grace with dealing with these things. Maybe. Yeah. And maybe that's giving people too much credit. But <laughs> it is. either way, we've got everything thrown at us all at once. And so it's like a lot of scrambling and, you know, discomfort and panic and guilt and a lot. Well, there's of also that guilt, too, that people feel of. Um, oh, I'm tired, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I care enough or am I caring about the right thing at the right time? Because, you know, just in the face of, um, all of the, hopefully the strides being made with the Black Lives Matter movement, having everything that's happening in Lebanon also just happen on top of a global pandemic, I think just has, people feel confused about having to divide their attention or divide their emotion. I think, I think that's confusing for people. I think people think that it's like a weird level of guilt where you don't know if you're caring about the right things. And I don't, yeah. I don't think it, people should be that hard on themselves. You just got to do what can you can. Look different. Every exactly. day can look different. You can care about everything one day and nothing the next day. And that's part of being a human and the human condition of um, emotional exhaustion is a real thing. And it can happen real suddenly when you don't expect it and aren't paying attention to it. And that's totally normal. And yeah. we see you and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're right there with you because yeah. that's kind of actually where everybody is, whether they know it or not. Let's be real. Self-awareness is the most important part. As long yeah. as you are identifying the things within your life and within you that can be changed and improved and evolved, that's really what this all comes down to. Like, Absolutely. check yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check yourself before. <laughs> Dude, there's so much unbelievably solid advice that I get from just these like one-liners that I remember just from my childhood obviously they all come from like different media places but like check check yourself before you wreck yourself um don't start none won't be none is actually I actually I'm not I'm not (laughs) embarrassed no money no problems exactly I'm not embarrassed to admit that um I once yelled don't start none won't be none at sam in an argument and like truly meant it like it was like it was like a fully serious like angry moment and i i think he laughed because i mean like how are you not going to but i meant it it was true yeah it was it was good 
That's so what, what have you been up to? What have you been working on? What have you been involving um, in your life? You know, just kind of floating along, been playing a lot of video games. Um, been working on this podcast. Uh, we've been doing some like background work for Weird Vibes. Um, and I'm working on some other uh, content editing and production uh, production for some clients. Um, other than that, I'm kind of just hanging tough. I don't go in to work anymore. I go in like once a week um, when nobody else is there because I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. How about you? How are you? You know, I've kind of um, changed a lot in my life in the last few months. I quit my job and started my own company. <laughs> yes, you did. fuck that place. Yes. Um, if that's not like some extreme level of privilege that I was able to do that, I acknowledge that, but it's been a very, very serious level of focus over the last few months and like I don't think it's ever a small undertaking to start your own business though. Like that takes that takes guts no matter what. Yeah. So I just you know, I reached a boiling point in my last job where it just didn't make any sense for me to stay any longer. Financially, emotionally, you know, mentally, none of it made sense anymore. And you know, I I've been wanting to start my own business for like two decades now, as you know. And, um, this is the first time that it's like been kind of a smooth transition and kind of just like everything fell into place and made sense. So if that's not the universe telling me that this is the right thing to do, I don't know what is. I think you also too, um, don't forget to give yourself enough credit of setting yourself such a solid foundation to be able to do that on. So if that does come from privilege, obviously like some of that is like what we are like born into in the situations we have, but I also have known you a long enough time to know how hard you work. Mm -hmm. So I think part of that like smooth sailing now might be from setting a lot of like really solid foundation in the time that you've been learning and growing. And I'm really happy for you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah. That and I, uh, courtesy of my boyfriend, found a new video game that I've been playing, and I'm absolutely obsessed. Oh, what are you playing? It's called Dead by Daylight. Oh, cool. Tell me about it. So, you play one of two roles. You're either a killer or a survivor. And the so the objective of the game is there's five people dropped into this map, four survivors and one killer. And the killer's job is obviously to find the survivors and kill them you know yeah and the survivor's job is they have to repair five generators and then exit the map escape from the map oh wow. and so the killers you can play are people like michael myers freddy krueger um pyramid head from silent hill uh, what pig from saw like a lot of really awesome characters and it's just it's if you're a horror movie fan it is your game and it is so much fun and i get like so nervous and excited playing it and it's just, it's really freaking great. And I play it all the just time. Just so now. hyped and adrenaline pumped. Like, yeah, <gasps> like I, I like get sweaty playing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun. So That's awesome. That's what I've been playing. 10 out of 10 recommend. Yeah. Um, I've been playing the new Animal Crossing. Obviously, I would 10 out of 10 recommend that. But that's basically the story with the whole world. So you already know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm also playing Borderlands with Sam. We're doing like a... A co-op campaign which has been super fun very nice um it's also uh really inspired me to <laughs> kind of do some research into like games and play in like mediation just because uh you know obviously we're married you are with someone for a long time you have a lot of opinions about each other and um <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really great way to do like 
relationship exercises. Because you're just, I don't know, you depend on each other. And it is on, like, an alien planet where you're, like, shooting aliens for each other. But it's still real deal, dude. You still got to be there for one another. Yeah. There's definitely a level of communication and uh, coordination that it takes when you're with someone and you play video games together. Exactly. You can really kind of make or break yourselves. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. fun. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. speaking of surreal worlds. Yes. Let's get into today's topic. <laughs> which is... MK Ultra, mm. the most, some of the most fucked up shit that this government's ever done. Ever admitted to doing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's far, far worse. Yes. Let's not. We're not gonna get that far. Into no, that. no, 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 no. Okay. We'll just stick so, to MK Ultra today. <laughs> MK Ultra, for those of you who don't know, went on between the years of 1953 to 1973, twenty freaking years, and what it basically boiled down to was it was a CIA mind control program, attempt at a mind control program. Mm -hmm. So the government um, had a lot of fears about like, you know, Soviet Chinese, North Korean officials taking U.S. prisoners of war and using mind control stuff on them. And so they wanted to identify and develop drugs and procedures to be used in interrogations to weaken the individual and force um, confessions through mind control and it was also used for harassment, discrediting people, and disabling people. So. Oh, I did not know <laughs> of the latter stuff. Yes. Wow. Okay. So basically, what the kinds of things they did was they would dose people with high doses of LSD um, and other chemicals like mescaline, mushrooms, DMT, cocaine, um, MDMA, basically everything you could think of. Um, they used electroshock therapy. They attempted hypnosis. They did sensory deprivation. They essentially tortured these people with isolation, verbal and sexual abuse. Um, the, a lot of times, uh, especially near the end, this was conducted without the participants' knowledge or consent. Wow. So, how did this all start? <laughs> how did um, it start? It was a continuation of work that began in the World War II era. Um, so a lot of, like, Japanese facilities and Nazi Nazi concentration camps um, had like these fucked up things they were doing for like subduing and controlling human minds. I mean, we, a lot of us I'm sure have heard the stories about what the Nazis did with people they found quote unquote expendable. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, people in the United States thought, "Gee, that's a fucking great idea. Let's do that here." And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the uh, American way. MK Ultra ensued. Uh, it, went, it went under a couple of other names like Project Bluebird, Project Artichoke, blah blah blah. Um, MK stands for the department that was taking care of the program, and then Ultra just means like it's the highest level of confidentiality. Okay. I also saw. I don't know if you saw this in your research, which I do want to talk about, but I saw there was an an MK Burn and an MK Search. Yeah. And I didn't... So those, those were um, same same department of people, but different projects. Okay. That's so interesting. Okay, so that was the highest level of that. Okay, I see what you're yeah. saying. Okay. So what's so crazy about this one is, I'm sure some of you remember the whole Watergate thing and how that was a big deal. So in 1973, when this ended, um, the director of the CIA was super panicked about a lot of different things because Watergate... And they were having this program shut down, and he he ordered a lot of the basically all of the records of this to be destroyed. 
um, what happened was someone filed a lot of some of the records under like the wrong files you know they were kind of like recorded as financial records or whatever and that's why we have the records we have today so they oh. either slipped through the cracks and they didn't get destroyed or people just like blatantly disregarded that order from the director of the CIA but a majority of these documents were destroyed and so mm-hmm. what's been happening over the last six bazillion years since this happened is people have been coming up and like confessing the things that have happened or we've like found little bits and pieces like breadcrumbs throughout records but a lot of it is still really unknown so the fact that we have this level of knowledge about this crazy crazy stuff kind of tells me that there's way more to it and like way more fucked up things that happened that we don't know about still yeah so considering even the time period um one of the few notes i do have about the um the records was 340 it was literally to the penny 349 over $349,000 was the the, those were the budget records that they did have from the Atlanta sub project so it wasn't even just like MK Ultra's like all of their different projects because I think they did it at different prisons um this was just that project and it was that much but exactly what you're talking about it was uh Dr. Sidney Gottlieb who ordered all the records destroyed in 73 um but I also had a note that said the same doctor that was um, that um, Pfeiffer had destroyed them in seventy two. But I think they were talking about like the clin- like the the clinic records that actually showed the people or had records right. of like what was going on. I also got a note on there that said that um, the CIA could produce no consent forms from the Atlanta sub project. So of course not. Yeah, who knows where those this. went? Let's talk about that. So. <laughs> LSD was their jam in this program. I want to say that that's like the tip top thing that Mm -hmm. they did the most. And it got to the point where um, they started out with, you know, a lot of what like Nazi people did is people they they viewed as dispendable, you know, expendable. So mental patients, prisoners, drug addicts, sex workers, uh, essentially in quotes, people said it was like people that could not fight back, right? Who didn't have the power to fight back. Uh, homeless would be wow. like a great example of that. So you figure you you find a drug addict and you say like, well, participate in this, this you know, psychological experiment and we'll give you heroin at the end of it. And what they don't know is that they're being dosed with LSD or whatever. Um, so it started with those people. And then what they did was they upped it to include CIA employees, military personnel, doctors, government agents, and then the general public. They kind of just like, oh, hey, everyone at, uh, you know, Harvard or whatever uh, come join the study that we're doing, quote-unquote study. Um, oh, my God. The whole country was just on LSD. Yeah. And then... Dude, this explains the 70s so well. Yeah, I'll get into that. Okay. So people at the CIA would say that acid trips would become an occupational hazard of working for the CIA because people were being dosed without their knowledge so often that it was just like, oh, well, you got dosed, you know? Oh, like people, my God. People didn't know. Um, wow. obviously these resulted in really long-term dehabilitations and several deaths. Um, oh, there was this, uh, this one thing that they did called Operation Midnight Climax, which is maybe my favorite operation name ever. Yeah, for And what real. they did is, um, CI set up several brothels where, uh, patrons would come in and... They would get dosed with LSD unknowingly, and then, like, agents would watch them on the other side of, like, single pane glass. One-way glass. Mirror. Yeah, one-way glass. Uh, so people would come into these brothels, and it's like, the, the theory behind that was, 
these men probably aren't willing to tell people where they were, so they wouldn't be willing to tell them about what happened to them while they were there. Oh, that is sneaky. Yeah. So some next level stuff happening here. Some things with that, like they would dose people for like many, many days in a row. There's one patient who was dosed up to 174 days straight with LSD every single day. Um, and I, I doubt it was like micro dosing. I'm sure they probably give them enough to trip out for 174 straight days. And I'm sorry, but if you're doing that for 174 straight days, you're ruined for life. Like you'll never be the same for sure. There's no way. Um, Consecutive days, dude. That's, that's just spending half of a year just tripping balls on I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. It sounds like the worst experience ever. Against your will, dude. It's not like we're talking about, like, oh, people, you know, yeah. doing recreational and, drugs. These are people this, who didn't know what was happening to them. And it, it just seems like there was there was kind of, like, no regard for medical science in any of this because they do things like they'd inject an upper in one arm and then a downer in the other. So, like, a barbiturate into one arm and then an amphetamine into the other and see what happened. Just but like, I think that's the thing is that, like, we have a hard time wrapping our heads around this, but this is just people at their ugliest, like, okay, human lives as as expendable guinea pigs. Like, yeah. and even, even that term that we're saying guinea pigs is, like, the slang term for something you test things on shows, like how much humanity humans have because that's just another animal that we also do testing on like it's not this is an entire program that like fell under the radar and people just had the power and completely abused it as they do and it became this monster that just didn't stop for years and years and years and it just got worse and more secretive and worse and more secretive well who was gonna stop it nobody could exactly it's a goddamn cia Yeah, dude. That was the thing, too, is all of the information I found, the articles, were on the CIA website. Like, it's not like they're trying to hide it. Like, you can can Google search MKUltra documents, and the the websites that pop up are the CIA website, and it's just, like, scans of super old transcripts of people talking about the MKUltra. Yeah, I I have transcripts. I have uh, newspaper articles from the 70s. I think they just kind of archived information that documented it maybe for them considering well i mean they're also not going to put their actual records on the website of what was happening to those people but we also know those records Mm -hmm. don't exist Mm -hmm. so i found something really interesting and that is um one of the people that was part of the um quote-unquote psychological experiment was ted kaczynski oh wow Uh, who is the Unabomber, for those of you who don't know. Uh, when he was 17 years old, he was at Harvard um, as a sophomore in 1959, and he was recruited for this, and he was there for three years. And so um, some people attribute what he did on later in life to this experiment, which, I mean, there's no, you know, that's obviously like a correlation, not a causation kind of thing. Yeah. But you have to wonder if for three years you're going in and getting unwillingly and knowingly dosed with LSD that maybe you would go off your fucking rocker and try to yeah. send bombs to people. Yeah. Um, I just I think there's just like a lot to unpack there. Like, we have barely scratched the surface of what we know of this organization and spending three years affiliated with them in any way kind of really changes the narrative of Absolutely. what happened. Yeah. On a little bit lighter of a note, um, one of the re- people who wrote songs for the Grateful Dead was part of this experiment as well, 
and a lot of people attribute the boom of the LSD and like hippie movement to this program because so many people were given LSD and like had great experiences with it Mm -hmm. that it became really popular outside in like normal society Mm -hmm. um and so people like think that um the cia kind of attributed greatly to the boom in lsd and the hippie movement and like you know the grateful dead kind of scene and i think that's hilarious yeah that is really interesting talk about a backfire of a situation well even just like the full circle of all of it of like Basically, every drug problem in the United States was started from the government of the United States, like different institutions just for different reasons at different periods of time. And then now thinking of all of those like super intense, like anti-drug campaigns of like, well, yeah, but you're just not making money off of it anymore. So why would you want us to be like, why would you want people to be using these things if you don't control the method of like where it's coming from? And you're not able to destabilize a country because of it or something. Because if it's Absolutely. not, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, we don't need to get into all that, but. <laughs> and how ironic that, like, kind of the premise behind LSD is to, like, free your mind and, like, ascend to another level. Yeah. And they were using this exact drug to control your mind and, like, descend it to to this point where you could be kind of a slave. Yeah. And <laughs> what a what a broad spectrum of this drug's abilities. Well, do you remember like um the beginning of Pineapple Express when yes. they show the like underground facility yes. where he's like smoking weed, but it's <laughs> Yeah, that guy. <laughs> so that like, like that scene of him smoking gets. that joint and then immediately just being like like fuck anything you have to say and like not caring just yeah. makes me think that that I mean, I know that's obviously comedic. That was a hilarious movie, but um, that that could not. There's no way that didn't happen. There's no way there weren't people that were disqualified because they were like, "What the fuck is like? What's going on?" Because there's, yeah. you know, there have been people obviously that have stepped forward and tried to speak on this. Um, I do after this want to do some tracking down on the names I did find because I wonder if like if you step forward and you sue the CIA, like, are you gonna like die of old age like in like living your normal life or is like something mysterious going to happen to you you know what i mean like i just wonder this also has some you know this is probably the murderino in me but this has some like jeffrey dahmer-esque stuff to it too because jeffrey dahmer's whole point and what he was doing was to try to find someone who he could have in a relationship with where they they don't ever you know engage or respond and they're just there to like be a sex slave essentially to them so that's why he was like drilling holes in people's heads and putting acid down there yeah because he wanted like this like mind wiped clean truth you know like like a lobotomized person yeah that he could just yeah i mean yeah. i do i definitely see some similarities in that but i think maybe a lot of the tech i don't know which way the relationship would go because this was so early on in medicine and men- like mental health medicine in general that especially post world war ii finding out about all the things the nazis did that like um first of all um forgiving a lot of those nazis if they like gave up enough people or whatever and like came over Ugh. to the right side and like did did science for us it makes it somehow different which it doesn't yeah which um, some people in this program were exactly and i i think uh, crossing that threshold really changed for people this idea that I mean I'm I'm as, I'm assuming that all of these methods were being tried everywhere like it wasn't just mental health facilities it wasn't just MK Ultra no 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 and it, it wasn't was in other like, countries too yeah absolutely like this technically might even I don't think any of it began from a place of like good intention I think that was brought up later because it is undeniable that there was a lot that was learned about just bo- the human body and like illness in general. 
but at what cost? And at like at the reason that medicine has progressed at the speed that it has is because like your Hippocratic oath specifically restricts you from doing the things that these people did. Like you do not hurt people for the benefit of science. Like that's not yeah. that's counterintuitive completely. Well, you don't- you don't view people as expendable, period. Exactly. We always talk about this. If you're using people as a means to an end and not as the ends themselves, like, you're doing it wrong. People, yeah. if people are not your, like, goal and intention, then, nah, you gotta rethink what you're doing. Yeah. I don't think these guys were worried about their moral compass, though. Yeah. Please go on. <laughs> Wait, well, what, what kind of scares me the most is that, A, stuff like this still happens to this day. Our government still has way too much fucking power. There's no question about it. I don't think anyone would argue with that. But also, B... They have power to the point where they're doing this in other countries and, like, we're established in other countries and have this kind of, like, these... So they set up these secret detention camps in other countries where they could essentially operate... Uh, Talking about CIA black zones? Yeah, sure. So it's, like, areas where they can operate without any, like, risk of criminal prosecution. And so they would capture people that were suspected to be enemy agents or, like, you know people in those countries that they deemed expendable just kind of like any sort of this like fear-mongering of like oh you're part of this country and you're a spy whatever and they do it there too and it's just like it's fucking baffling that we have this level of ability and i don't know if it's like we buy our that ability or we just have become to the point where we're, we're too powerful with that ability where we do these things i'm saying we like i would ever fucking participate in this but you know th- this 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 level of government is so fucking poisonous and toxic that it has this ability to literally capture other countries, you know, citizens in their own country and perform torture and experiments on them. What the fuck? Money's a hell of a drug, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fuck. Yeah. That's the thing is that, like, our, our position is just, like, really wild in this world. And I think... Um, I'm going to try to put words to this idea because I think it's where a lot of, like, the weird, like, sweeping problems that we have come from. Um, I think people as a group give these, like, abstract entities too much power in their minds. Like, I think we as a group think of, like, the government with, like, I am putting up air quotes. Obviously, nobody can see that. Um, Like, the government, like, seen as this, like, huge, all-seeing, all-powerful like entity when really it's a lot of blundering people listening to the person above them right so if everybody is just listening to the person who did that above them like we can just go back to the harvard um prison experiments and just like have that mentality of like people unsure of what to do will do what other people around them are doing so i think we just don't Mm -hmm. question a lot of these things and then a few people who are like maniacal enough to have these big sadistic ideas can carry out huge effects across literally across nations. And I mean, this was, this was something that I I was talking to you about with like on another topic completely, but it was um, about like Milton Friedman with, again, going back to capitalism, but um, that idea was such a small group of people and ended up influencing entire countries and entire governments and even our own economy. This sounds like a cult. Exactly, dude. All of it yeah. does. That's the thing is like all it takes, it takes the right, when we're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer, we're talking about these like specific types of personalities. It really doesn't take more than like one driven enough megalomaniac to end up with some wild ass shit like MK Ultra going on for 20 years, 20 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and I, I don't think that that stops with like, you know, someone who's just psychotic enough to pursue this and make it happen. I think that that's kind of like a, a part of society that we don't acknowledge enough. It's like, if you see a group of people doing something or not doing something for that matter, you're less likely to stray from the crowd. Like, let's say we see someone getting beaten up and there's a crowd around them standing doing nothing, are you likely to jump in there and try to stop the fight, or are you likely to stand with the crowd and observe? Because are you likely you tr- to wait because you're thinking there must be somebody who's going to stop yeah. this? Yeah you, yeah, you trust the human beings around you that they know better than you do or they know the situation at a deeper level than you do, when in reality, someone just needs to fucking jump in there and stop it. Exactly. There's, um, we, I talk about this experiment a lot, but there's just this, like, uh, a lot of information found from, like, it's, like, some work about literally just observing, like, monkeys that, like, work in groups and, like, live in groups and how they'll mimic each other's behavior whether or not it benefits them because they are in such, such large groups. And it was just about, like, them shelling empty nuts and even if they knew that there was a pattern that like this was going to be empty they would still do it if they saw all of I'm explaining it terribly but it's just basically this idea that like the comfort that we find and the trust that we find in everybody else around us going along with what's going on is is literally insurmountable you can accomplish anything with that yeah. Or nothing. And then and then add a, add a layer of quote unquote authority to that. And oh, yeah. You have this entity like, I don't know, police or the government or whatever the fuck you want, the military, whatever you want to establish here. And you've got a situation where not only do you trust this person at the level of they're human and I trust them to do the right thing. But now that they've been given this title or this authority over me, I trust them even more to do the right thing when in reality it's kind of like a reverse effect. I feel like the higher up you get in power, the less likely you are to do the right thing, to do the ethical thing, to do the thing that would maybe look bad on you, but is the right thing to do or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, because you're, the stakes change for you, right? So this, the stakes for you when, you know, you're not in power and, like again, like that Harvard prison experiment, like if you're being told somebody above you is saying this is okay and, like, this is part of the experiment, there's so much more you're willing to ignore. But I truly wonder, too, like, did the, did the people who were at the upper parts of that? No, they didn't. Because once they were in power, then what you do is like, well, this is what I was taught like about power and this is how you do it. And I get to mm-hmm. do whatever I want because like, I'm a, I don't know, man, there's a very, very toxic cycle yeah. here. And I, I don't think that anyone at the CIA is like about, I mean, you're working at an institution that literally knows the most about the world and the most powerful. I can't, it's just too yeah. much power. <laughs> well, in this, I think this, um, it's kind of serendipitous that we talk about this now, because I feel like a lot of this is what's happening with, um, what people are saying on social media about the black lives matter movement where you're like, you know, your silence is, is compliance. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some truth behind that because it's very easy to speak up about something that you perceive as wrong, especially to the people that you care about in your life. I mean, yeah, it feels wrong, but who else should be hearing it? than Then from you, you know? Yeah. Like I have people in my family who are blatantly racist and what I've been doing for the last however many months is I've been sucking it up and finally standing up to them and telling them why I think what they're saying is racist. And I haven't done that in years because of my compliance with this and because it's, you know, someone I love and care about and I brush it off and that's done. I'm done doing that. Absolutely. And that's, that's when change comes. Yeah, no, literally it's, it's, that's when change comes when we stop being willing to just like sit down and let things like this happen. I mean, I don't, maybe you have more information about like what ended this, but I do think like it does need to come to a point where people realize like we are the power that we're looking for. And like, 
you you can't be relying on someone else to guide your moral compass. Like if you if you know you shouldn't be experimenting on people, stop experimenting on people. Yeah. If this feels wrong in your gut, it probably is. Yeah, I would trust that gut. Yeah. So this ended basically because people started investigating it. Like, okay. You know, it's like um, this doesn't seem right, and so they started investigating it, and it, it took a really long time, like several years for this to finally come to a halt. It kind of like. They put, you know, well, you can't do this, this, and this, but you can continue these things. And I was like, well, no, you can't do this either. And it was just like kind of a A slow phasing out of it. It was like a a trickle, you know. So what you're saying is it never actually ended. I'm just kidding. Probably. I mean, honestly, on some level, on some level, for sure. Let's be fucking real. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of evil in this world, and a lot of those people hold higher positions, and I have... I'll die on the hill. No, I agree with you. I I can't tell you what is going on, but I know it's more than what we're told. Yeah, for real. (sighs) This is uncomfortable. This, (laughs) this is uncomfortable. It makes you very fearful. You know, it makes me very fearful. It makes me not trust anyone, but I mean, it's probably not a way to live. But then again, I guess it's a smart way to live. I don't know. I don't know. I think balance. Don't trust me. I think everything is balance. I think all of it is balance. You need to know. You need to... It takes constant presence because you just need to know which part of you to listen to in each situation. And I don't know if there's any answer beyond that. Like, I've really been trying to figure this out for myself, but, like, there are no universal answers. And, like, you just need to be present and willing and humble enough to just keep learning. And then you have things like this year where the CIA confirms things like UFOs and nobody bats a fucking eye. Literally. Well, that, that's the thing, too, is like this also, like MK Ultra, I th- Not this year, but something else came out about it this year that they were kind of just like, yeah, like <laughs> kind of like a shrug of like, okay, yeah, we did that. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Aliens were this year. There was some other stuff they came out with that were just like, yep, all of it's real. Sorry, guys. <laughs> not even sorry, guys. They don't care. Yeah, I want to say it was something like manifestation or chakras or something like oh yeah uh, um, uh the astral plane woo woo like that yeah yeah the astral plane i know um there was something else too um i don't know chakras were one gonna that's... change your life forever yes and you know, everyone's so fucking involved with what's going on in the world now it's like these life-changing discoveries and omissions by the cia were just like well we don't got time for that right now. But at the same time, part of me thinks Sam and I have also like weighed the idea that maybe that's on purpose, that like this amount of chaos is being allowed to get so out of hand. Cause like we all know other governments and other people in our own government could step in and at least fucking calm shit down for a little bit. But I think that honestly, part of it is that there's something bigger going on and we are either being distracted. I, I, Everything that came out with um, Epstein and uh, that woman, oh. Maxwell, oh. that her list getting unlocked the same day as the Lebanon explosion is just not, it doesn't sit very well with me. And I know a Listen. lot of that goes with like the narrative of like, oh, well, the, you know, the Middle East always has bombs going off. I can fucking tell you it doesn't. Like I've yeah, lived what a, there. What it a doesn't. ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the thing is that like it, it, it's a constant feeding of this idea that we like know what it's like in other parts of the world when we don't and it's we're trying to be told that that was like a normal thing that just happened there's still no explanation like how how is something like that not going to be correlated to global events if you're just going to tell me that like oh what i need to think about that situation is like huh arabs always do that are you what (laughs) (laughs) that sir that is not an answer (laughs) just 
the audacity and the idiocy behind a statement like that. <laughs> I think anyone who chooses to be in politics is a little bit off the rocker. I think that that takes a level of, uh, I don't want to say narcissism. Yeah, the maybe. word the word megalomania comes to mind. It, it takes yeah. a lot of um, ego, I think. And it must be such a painful position to be in. You're just always fighting an uphill battle. There's always drama. There's always chaos. No, I it agree. Be, it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be, but the thing is, is more if it, if it was one cook in the kitchen, it wouldn't be. But it's it's so many different ulterior motives playing out under a few people who really do want to like govern the masses and make sure there are because I do I do believe that there are some people who like get into that and do still have that position of wanting to build better institutions and better yeah, you know political sure. and social infrastructure for everyone. But there are so many other hands in that fucking pie that are willing to sponsor other shit that it's it's yeah. going to take a lot longer to get there. Yeah. Right after these messages. Just kidding. <laughs> this brought to you by. <laughs> so I also saw that, um, sorry to just jump back in, but I looked down and I saw the word hallucinogenics and I saw um, that a lot of the focus of this that I found seemed to be from this belief that the Soviet research into a truth serum was getting Mm -hmm. like really serious and like they had developed something so that a lot of this was either to scramble agents brains so that their confessions would be useless or to be able to like wipe their memories or do other things which is the discrediting bit of it that's insane which they i mean let's be real they were successful with that if you do acid for 174 straight days, your brain's going to be fucking scrambled, no question about it. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in this regard, that was a success. They found a way to scramble someone's brain and make what they were claiming or stating be, be discredited. No question. If you are tripping on acid, whatever you say, probably it's, it's not going to make sense. Yeah. And if you're being unknowingly dosed, like, say you're at, let's, there, you know, here's a situation that happened. There was a CIA company party and someone drank a drink full of LSD. If you're if you're with your colleagues talking about something and you don't know that you've just taken a bunch of acid and you start tripping and saying crazy things, they're going to immediately think that you can't be trusted with whatever you say. I mean, yeah, no, no matter what, it. that's going to be like, well, yeah, I don't know. They're just like saying something. I, yeah, something's off here. Yeah. And even um, to take it back to other media, like in Stranger Things, like you probably should be caught up if you hear this next part, but... They even go into, it wasn't just, because they kind of allude to her being like, it's something like MKUltra. Um, and they, when she goes and finds her mom, her mom is so traumatized. And so I think her thing was like electroshock therapy and LSD. I don't quite remember. Um, but her mom was just in such a state that anything she she ran on like basically a loop. She had like three things that she said and she mm-hmm. didn't really say anything outside of that. Um and they end up showing you what the like why the loop is there and it's very sci-fi and like obviously not realistic but that same person are you going to trust what that person tells you about what got them in that situation and i i, I want to say that i would i want to say that i want to know what like that i want to believe this person but we also know human nature and know that when you feel like it's an unreliable source of information you're always going to stay skeptical usually yep. so i don't yep. think it's 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 they're literally just feeding off human nature all of it from the from top to bottom yep that's wild absolutely although if it was something like stranger things where i had powers and a love day go waffles mm-hmm. i'd take a few hits lsd i would <laughs> be real. Yeah. i would 
I move stuff in my mind. Yeah, I I don't think her mom got it too well, but I do think that Eleven. No. Um, I don't know. I we're a superhero generation, dude. I want I want powers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been watching Umbrella Academy? No, I it's haven't, like but I've heard really really good things about it. Uh, so I binge watched the first season because the second season came out. I give it a six out of ten. It's very okay. entertaining. Okay. It's very entertaining. Captivating, I wouldn't exactly use that word. Okay. Entertaining is good. Honestly, I think that might be all they're going for at this point. Yeah. It's very enjoyable. It's very entertaining. It's very, uh, it's a nice show to watch. So I recommend it. I just wouldn't say like, oh, it's the best. But then again, I'm kind of a cynic when it comes to shows. No, but I've, I've, um, you're not the only person who said that. And so I'm really curious. I do know, I do want to watch it. Yeah. It's worth watching for sure. Cool. So there's some there's some powers there that I'm like I've done for that. <laughs> I'd I'd take that power. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, now I keep hopping back in, but um, I do want to touch back on some of the information that I found about these prisoners because I think that goes back to credibility and what we're willing to listen to. Because I found even as I was reading this news news story, I couldn't help but be like, yeah, I don't know if I trust this guy because. They're, they're, they're convicts that are already in these situations, right? The, the men that were in the Atlanta prison, there was four of them. And Russell Kirk was one of them. And he was dosed. I, he doesn't know how many times. Um, and from the psychoactives or from all of the... I don't know what experimentation they did on him. but And he doesn't quite remember. But he ended up becoming very suicidal. Um, mm-hmm. Tried to slit his wrist at one point And it didn't Super work. Super common. Um, when that didn't work, he got put in solitary and uh, this is like, I, I'm just such a cringy person. So it's hard for me to even say, but, um, he like nodded his own wrist again, mm-hmm. um, and got taken out. And so they had to like repair his, his arm again. And then he tried to hang himself and he's still alive. But I mean, all of those attempts were after that. And then there was somebody else. And this was the person who made me kind of question a little bit of the credibility because um, he did go in as a nonviolent offender. He was like a bootlegger, right? He um, made moonshine. But um, he, at the point that the interviewer had gotten to him and was talking to him, his name was Jack Anderson. It was an article for the Washington Post in 1973. Um, But as he's interviewing him, he's talking about how before he was completely nonviolent and he had, it was a moonshining charge um, or a bootlegging charge. And that at this point he had, in his words, um, sliced a couple people and I think he'd shot a few people and then also said something about, and then I went home and like beat my wife pretty bad. And I read that and I was just like, dude. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading this. Yeah. But then as you're reading it. He he attributed what he did once he got out to the LSD. To the LSD. Changing his nature to a more violent nature, which like I... I couldn't help but question because I'm also like, it could have been, again, when we're talking about causation or correlation, like you're in a different system. Time has gone by. You might have just changed as a person. You might have been a violent person and like aren't telling the truth about it. But then I'm like, why can't I trust that this person is saying, this is kind of the discredibility they're talking about, right? Because we have such a narrative in our heads about who gets themselves into these situations that we're already willing to not hear them when we're talking about trying to hear them. Like, even as I'm reading this, I'm like, I don't know, dude, you beat your wife? Like, that doesn't sound like something you just do. Yeah, but again, you want to immediately write them off. Yeah, it's, and I I can't help but think, like, it's your brain is your powerhouse. Like, of course it's going to change your personality. So yeah. I, I'm, I don't know. I don't have answers, but it does well, make you discredit people. I mean, going back to the suicidal tendencies, I can tell you right now that if I was not realizing that I was being like, let's say I had never done any hallucinogens, never done any drugs, 
I had no idea what that felt like and someone started dosing me, I would think that I was losing my fucking mind. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be able to have a, a, a identifying moment where I was like, oh, this is This is what caused this. Yeah. 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 I, I know this feeling. This is a familiar feeling. I know what's happening. If I'm being microdosed with LSD and I'm, you know, the world is just melting edge, and you don't know why. And I'm starting to see patterns in my wall. I'm going to think I'm fucking losing it. And yeah. if that happens long enough, I think that maybe I would become suicidal because I would be afraid that my brain is melting. Well, the thing is, too, is I'm I think a lot, of, a lot of people who reach that point and attempt that, at that point, they're overwhelmed and they're exhausted. It's not even just about like, oh, I'm so sad. It's like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, yeah. this is just functioning more than people can at a certain point. Yeah. And like, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. It's just a, a wanting it to stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Plus, if we're talking about um, mental illness, like if you're exacerbating one of the people who one of the doctors that uh, got interviewed, the only one willing to talk basically just said that he very vaguely was like, it, we were trying to cure mental illness, which is like the most vague thing that you could ever say. Like, you I want... don't think that altering someone's mind to the point where they see things that aren't real is the way to cure mental illness. But I also Let me just put that out there. But that this also goes back to the fact that like we see these people as dispensable like you when you're saying oh I want to cure mental illness you're not saying to that person that you're using as a test subject I want to cure your mental illness what we're not talking about in that conversation is that they're actually saying I want to use you as a stepping stone in science to reach a better place for other people because your life is worth less than that than that research which is That we we would need an entire season to unpack all of the, like, human psychology that goes into that. But that comes from a place of not valuing those people. That's, you just mm-hmm. don't value them. Yeah. I think what's great about this topic is that it touches a lot on things that they're just so ingrained in what goes on with everyone. And it's just, like, there's so many layers of this here. It's, like, it's not just someone in the, the government being a fucking crazy person and... Uh, deciding to test people to control them with their minds. Like this goes beyond that. This goes into um, our perceptions of people like sex workers and prisoners and um, people with mental health issues. This goes into um, the levels of control that the government has. This goes into so many like societal issues that they're just so deep and messy and crazy unbelievably complicated i feel like i've said crazy too many times in this episode but this is just this is crazy this 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 is uncomfortable yeah it is um no i mean i i i get exactly what you're saying i think that's i think that's why this does make a really great topic um the thing that permits an agency and a, a group of humans to create something like this and carry it on for 20 years, which you know means people came in and out of that program. There was like a lot of people mm-hmm. who knew about that. There were doctors who probably had careers before and after this, right? It, it's about unpacking what gets an entire society to a place where we not only allow this to happen, but trust that the people who are doing it are doing it for good enough intentions that we're going to just let it go on even after we find out about it. And fund it on top of And that. fund it. Taxpayer money. Yeah. I, I was reading one article where um, one of the doctors who was traveling throughout facilities in Canada and the U.S. to participate in these studies was making what would uh, adjust to inflation today over $600,000 a year. Wow. 
That's so insane. So where did that money come from? Because I mean, that that's the thing. One is if person it was, of this entire program. But if it's a government agency, it's government money, which means yeah, it's our I mean, that money. Explains our government. Tr- <laughs> yeah, it explains our, explains our debt. My God. It also explains I mean, why there's always like, uh, res- like there's always holdover and justification for money and like research and development for like war and uh weapons and like biochemical weapons and stuff like this type of research is always justified because the budget has always been so fucking overblown so all of these things can hide in that budget like we don't know what we're funding it's just billions trillion i don't know how much it is but it's a lot of money that just goes into a defense budget yeah i <laughs> like, mean okay you have to what you have to wonder if um once you get high enough up in the government, that money just becomes, like, monopoly money to you. Yeah. I mean, it that's, that's no the case for anyone with, like, a lot of money. Like, it doesn't... It's not real. It's just something you trade with. Which is yeah. really actually what... Like, that's that would be the way that we should have built society, right? Like, the way that people are allowed to function at the very, very top of these structures that we've built is how we should be functioning. These people do favors for each other. They give each other jobs. They do whatever. Because money doesn't mean shit to them. They trade information... They help each other out, they team up, they do shit like that, right? Instead of paying each other for jobs. Because at that point, when you're at the very, very top and you know this much information about the world and what's happening at the CIA, you don't you don't function the same as people, like just civilians out in society. Like, why would you? You couldn't. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Hey, I also saw that, okay, so where it was talking about Russia testing that uh, truth serum... Um, I saw, and this kind of just goes, using people, dude, these were CIA agents who were Russian in this time, mind you, this is like Cold War era, and these two CIA agents who worked for that, you already talked about them drugging their own employees, but like, they literally, they had been concerned that they had been compromised, which like, I don't know if I believe that, um, and so they were drugged and hypnotized, and then the only quote on it was that the interrogation was very successful, and they, like, um, the article said that they revealed uh, intimate things about their lives that, you know, I mean, obviously just, like, probably asked them questions about God knows what, like, memories, yeah, childhood, embarrassing moments, things they don't so want anybody to know. And they tested their own people because they were just like, well, we don't know. They're Russians, so they might be spies. But you put yeah. them there because that's why you put them there. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's take a step back really quick and break this down for a second. So the whole point of this program was to figure out a way to mind control people or have them confess, right? Truth serum or mind control, one or the other, right? Yep. So in what circumstance would this be something that they apply to independent of wartime, right? Obviously, this is like a POW kind of thing where they apply these things and then they get information. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around why that's so much of a necessity that they took such extremes with it because you care about other people <laughs> like oh, okay. you're not gonna okay. wrap your head around it because like you have empathy right and i'm not saying every single person who works with this doesn't but you have to have a certain amount of either this authoritative desensitization of like oh well somebody's telling me what to do like the people this isn't my fault i'm not hurting anybody they're hurting someone and telling me to hurt them, so it's not my fault. You're either yeah. that person or you're the person who's kind of reached a point of like, meh, we got to figure it out. And like, doesn't yeah, you, have that connection anymore. I feel like you either have this like not in war mentality, which is me. You know, mm-hmm. I've never been in war. I don't really understand the dynamics of it. Or you have this war mentality where it's like, our country is threatened. 
and we are willing to take these steps to these extremes to ensure the safety of the future of our country. Okay, I can understand that for sure. I don't but know if I believe point... that though. Right? No, no, I'm. I'm yeah, just you're just you're playing okay. devil's advocate right now. Okay, go for it. At what point do things like torturing prisoners of war become too unethical? I mean, from my perspective, they're unethical to begin with. And I understand, like, they do it to kind of, like, get information and intel and blah, 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 whatever. Take down, quote-unquote, ISIS. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at what point is it just, A, not successful, B, unethical, or not worth it? I mean, I just... I just don't, know, I don't know if ethics... Work? I don't know if ethics factor into this. And mind you, this was a different time. Like, I think now we can say with hindsight, like, yo, you're just, like, fucking around with people for no reason. But Guantanamo Bay is still a real thing. That's true. Like, this is still happening to this day. It's just not as prolific and not being done on American citizens. Well, maybe it is being... It probably is still it being is. done. It is. I mean, there are people at Guantanamo. I mean, that's... I think that's the thing, too, is we also reach a point where we think you really have to start asking yourself that ethical question of like, does this actually, does this person being a convict or being a violent person actually take away their like worth and value of as a human life that I am willing to put their body through pain or terror or whatever grotesque kind of experiment that you're going to do because you have deemed them less than like, I'm not saying I want to justify like anybody committing violence against anyone else, but like you either keep them locked away if that's the way that we're going to do this prison system and leave them alone or you rehabilitate them. Like you, you don't experiment on them because you've decided that they're like less like they're not worth what other people are worth. You don't get to experiment on them for that. Lock them away. Yeah. That's what you've decided to do. Lock them away. Well, and if if the, if these prisoners or, you know, whomever had gone into this with full transparency of them being dosed, them being electrocuted, them being, you know, tortured or whatever, hypnotized. If they're considered consenting at that point, does it become ethical? Well, we would say yes, because a lot of these people technically did consent because they would they would be told like, oh, we're going to do these experiments on you, whatever. But they wouldn't be told the long term effects. They wouldn't be told they're going to like involuntarily be dosed later on. Like they don't know they weren't told the whole story, which I think you and I both understand that like withholding information is still not telling the truth. Like that's. I don't I don't no. think it's ethical to begin with because what people were signing up for, I think the people who were doing the experiments like at least knew that this wasn't going to be like oh completely peachy keen. There were going to there was going to be fallout, and I think that now we take more measures to make sure people know about that fallout. I think these people were obviously purposely kept in, if not the complete dark, they were kept in a very badly lit room. Let's just say that. Yeah, like the interrogation room in Batman. Yes, precisely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to find like a level of this where it could become justifiable, and I just don't think that that exists, and I don't care to find that. Honestly, I was just trying to play devil's advocate. Um, like I, I, I think I'm trying to wrap my head around like what the justification is. I get the general idea of what they wanted to start, but a they're starting out from taking examples from Nazis already off to a bad start. Already. And then they're just... Stop there. If you, if, yeah. Just stop like, there. Like, if you're doing something that you found from a Nazi idea, stop. Hard stop. Full stop. Walk away. That's it. You're done. We're done here. I don't know. 
I think it does really come back to that, though. I think it comes back to um, having more, like, ethical backbone and empathy than is possible to, like, fully understand this. Because you're not, there's not, it's not like there's something you're missing. Like, you're seeing all the facts in front of you. I think this has a lot more to do with, like, human complicity and our willingness to just kind of, like, go along with shit than it does with, like, people being like, oh, I want to hurt people. You took psychology, right? Yeah. Did you ever um, read or hear about that study where uh, there was two people in two different rooms, one of them was hooked up to a machine that would electrocute them, and the other person was hooked up, yeah, and it was like, it showed the true unethical behavior of human beings, given Mm -hmm. like the option to electrocute someone or not. Yeah. And even though you knew that that was happening, um, yeah, yeah, dude. Like, you'd hear them (laughs) scream and like... Somebody else would tell you that that was part of the experiment, you'd be like, okay... Yeah. No, Everyone I think... who's listening, just Google, you know, like, electrocution experiment or something like that. I don't know. But it was just, it was incredibly disheartening for me to see the truth behind human nature and how people don't give a shit. I mean, we have a long way to go, dude. We are, we're just walking animals. We're, we're walking animals in costumes. Like, let's... We're animals who have too much power over other animals. Yeah, exactly. Into the earth. Yeah. We're a disease. We're a plague. Uh-huh. On that note. Uh-huh. Just kidding. <laughs> On that note. Good night, guys. But listen. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm half serious, but I'm, I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm very hopeful with human beings. I think that we have such beautiful potential to be better and to do better than we have been doing. And, it, you know, I think back that's into why you're whole... disheartened, dude. I think it's because, you know, we can do better. I think it's really hard to see things like this because, you know, the good that we're capable of. We yeah. are and we it, are it, capable it, of so much more than this. It it ties all back into that whole like are you part of the crowd or are you stopping the fight? You know? Are you mm-hmm. a sheep or are you a border collie who's protecting the herd from the wolf? Oh border collie yeah. Sorry, you got excited. No, it's fine. <laughs> no, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's what's scary about things like this is like it doesn't take a lot of people. Again, like we said, I don't think it took everybody in in those rooms or those experiments to be fully, like, even fully on board. But all is, all it takes is complicity. Like, it doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't start right out the gate with torture. It's like, you know, abusive relationships don't go straight to physical abuse. They start with love bombing and gaslighting and all these little things that you're ab- able to brush off and justify because you're in the honeymoon stage and in love. Well, plus the emotional extremes of those situations are so addicting. Like... Yeah. It's hard to not justify how much better you feel when you have felt that low, right? So it, it starts as a toxic cycle from the very beginning. Bottom line, everyone should be in therapy. Yeah, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. If I, I, honestly, if I, could, is important. if I could do anything with this podcast, is the, the end of everyone is just be like, hey, bottom line, get to therapy. And if you can't, get to yeah. us so we can help you find resources. So one thing I have definitely been noticing is like a willingness for people to talk out more about being in therapy mm-hmm. and like normalizing that. And I think that's so fucking wonderful. And it's to the point now where I've been on Reddit for probably eight years. And uh, one of my favorite subreddits is the relationship subreddit. Um, just because a lot of times it's like a lot of chaos and I like reading about these things because that's like my little daily dose of drama and I love, love people's responses. I think that there's some genuine concern there and, um, actually some really solid advice a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. One of the things I'm seeing pop up a lot is people jumping to like do this and this and go to therapy. 
Yeah. And you did, you know, eight years ago, you didn't see that. It was a lot of like, uh, you know, I would do this, like, this seems wrong. You're justified in feeling this way. Like a lot of reassurance and like kind of putting things into perspective for yeah. those outside people. But now it's like so much support for therapy and like encouragement for therapy. And well, I think, I think people so realize wonderful. how much of our behavior comes from our own specific shit, right? So if my yeah. own, like my specific shit obviously can be dealt with with many of the like redirecting and like social behaviors that we should be using you get taught those by other people all the time right you go out into the world and other people are teaching you how to act every moment that they're interacting with you but that doesn't change that like you you kind of need that for yourself and it's it's not going to unpack for you your individual shit and it's Mm -hmm. again that might come from privilege but it does take a, a whole ass other person sitting in front of you being willing to give you the time and space to be like, no, we need to, we need to unpack this. This is the specific thing that you need to talk about right now. I think that's something yeah. that we don't, we haven't grasped yet socially, but we are definitely getting there. Yeah. And even if you are an anomaly and you don't feel like you have shit to unpack, therapy is such a great space to just be and be without judgment and be without question and just talk about what you're going through and learn how to be a better version, a better communicator, a better partner, a better friend, um, to understand the people in your life better. So it's just such a wonderful space to evolve as a human and operate in the world with other humans in a more fluid and beautiful way. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. I think, okay. So a big thing for me when I first started was not knowing what you were going to say when you go in, right? Because you're meeting this person for the first time and it's, this is yeah. technically going to be like one of the most intimate relationships in your life. And it's weird. It's so weird to be like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna need to build this trust with you. But I think acknowledging that and going in, a thing that really works for me when you're talking about like, oh, there are weeks that I don't, I've had a good week mentally, emotionally. I'm obviously in times of Rona, that's a little more rare. But there are times when, I'm not dealing with the the stuff that I'm really there with her to deal with. And that day feels a little different. And on those days, it is really, I find it so helpful to even just take a moment to be like, well, what do I want to work on? Do you know how much shit you want to work on as a person with yourself that isn't your emotional or med- like, it's not, it's not just your trauma. Like, mm-hmm. what are you trying to be better at? What, yeah. what, what do you need tools for? It's literally yeah. a person who's there to just give you fucking coping tools for existing. Like, yeah. that's pretty fucking tight. Well, and, and encourage you to, to pursue things that are good for you. Yes. to pr- yeah. Like, to, that you are worthy of pursuing the things that are good for you, too. It's like, yeah. you're worth treating yourself well. That's a yeah. big one. Honestly, when I started therapy, I wasn't even going because I had some trauma I wanted to deal with. I was going because I couldn't get over this relenting idea that I wasn't where I was supposed to be in life. And just breaking that that construct down breaking that mentality of like well i'm 25 i should be doing this this and this like blah 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 all that (laughs) bullshit that i implemented on myself was such a monumental shift in my life yeah and my first therapist who helped me get through that like life-changing and i didn't even go in with like a trauma you know i didn't go in with like this terrible breakup happened i need to work through it it was just like i can't get over this feeling that like i'm unsuccessful Yeah. No, actually, when I started, it wasn't like a specific thing. I was just like, yo, I think what it was for me was feeling like I had a lot that I needed to work through and that it was overwhelming by myself. And that while I did trust my circle of friends and I did go to them, it felt not bigger than them, but it felt like I was the only person who was was fucking above their pay grade. I'm the only person who's going to give my life this much attentiveness, not because the people around me don't care about me, but because like 
they've got their own shit to deal with. And like, people are listening to you, but people cannot take on the full emotional impact of like the things that are happening to you and what you might need from that situation. For me, it was literally just like, this is too big for me by myself. And I'm tired of trying to expect it from other people when that's not really their role. Like, I'm not friends with my friends because they're carrying my emotional burdens. I'm not comfortable doing that. It's not their place in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to find somewhere else. And I, thankfully, I, like, hit a, well, I got a really good referral. But, like, um, I hit the jackpot and, like, absolutely love my therapist. But building that relationship can be weird. So it's, I think it's okay yeah. to remember that, like, you don't need to go in there and, like, have this, like, big one thing that you need to work out. Like, we're all yeah. existing and we all know it's fucking hard. Listen, I've been in therapy for, like, seven years now or something like that and I've been seeing my current therapist for the last three I think Mm -hmm. and I just now got to the point where I trusted her enough to talk about my biggest trauma in my life which I haven't spoken to anyone before so like that tells you that it takes time and you'll get there and even go like everything every time I go into a therapy session now like I feel nervous talking about my trauma but not because I'm talking to her about it. Like that feels like easy and calm and accepting and like a warm space. Yeah. It's because I know I'm unpacking something very heavy that is going to stir up a lot of shit in me. Yeah. I think that's but like, I have the space for it now. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I think a, a weird thing too, that starts happening is we've talked about this before, especially when I first started therapy is that when that stuff starts to come up, you don't pick what comes up. Nope. And it picks you. <laughs> it picks you. So your shit is just like, oh, hey, we're playing this game now. And things will come up that honestly maybe even feel like unrelated, might even feel confusing as to like why they're coming up. But they're probably all rooted in the same like issues of like control and pain and fear that come from whatever trauma you're dealing with. So like, I don't know, you might not get to pick the thing, but at least you get to work through that thing. And then it's mm-hmm. it's not that it's done. It's just that it's not scary anymore. Mm hmm. How did we get on this topic? I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with that. Me too. Therapy so, yeah. pep talk. Go to therapy. Therapy therapy. We support you. If you if also want to talk to us in the... We, we'd probably only have recommendations in this area, though. Yeah, that's way above our pay grade. That's way above our pay grade. We're willing to hear you and maybe direct you to people who would know better, but it yeah. is above we're our pay grade for listeners. sure. good listeners. Yes. I think we'll get this through together. Too. We'll get this through together. We'll get through this together. Mm-hmm. Jeez, we are in this together. Even this sentence. Yes. <laughs> we. We are. We. We are the champion? <laughs> Someday. Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. We love you. We love you. We're sorry we're so sporadic with these, but, you know, life is heavy. The world is heavy. I feel like the world is probably pretty understanding of why we are, but we are going to try to yeah. get a little more consistent with this and make a real comeback, because I think this is good for both of us. I think one of our um, biggest drawbacks, well, not drawbacks, but, like, hindrances is finding um, topics that we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. Because we've tried to we talk about things that, like, we feel like we need to talk about, and then we record the episode, and it's just, it's like, like fuck it's this. so flat and stupid, and we won't even post it. Yeah. So, talking about stuff that we really care about, and that we feel like we have something to say about, is what we've been focusing on. And so, we've got a couple of episodes planned. We want to try this fun thing with... A Twitch stream live podcast episode. Yeah. And I don't know how that would work with quarantine because I can't. Maybe I could screen share. Like I could run my Twitch stream. Yeah. Anyway, we're trying to work out a Twitch stream because I think that'd be so fucking fun. And that could be like a lot of live comments and like you guys could give us immediate feedback and like talk to us. 
So that's in the works. We're working on that. Um, but yeah, so we're just trying to talk about things that we actually care about or... If there are things that, that you care about and want us to talk about, talk to us about them and we'll, 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 yeah. we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll do like a little mini episode where you guys talk about your topics and we just say them on air. Yes. That'll be perfect. Just list them. Yes. Yeah. So stay tuned for all that stuff and catch you on the flippity flip. Yeah. Catch you on the flippity flip. <laughs> Bye. Bye.